Today's passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, bow, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are, were full have hired themselves out, of, out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. morning. My name is uh, Bob Burris. I'm a missionary supported by the church here. Thank you very much for your prayers and your financial support. Um, I'm married. My wife is sick today and she could not come. I subsequently, when we figured out she couldn't make it, I did send an email saying, do you still want me? And they, the response was, I suppose so. <laughs> so, my wife is a gem, and uh, you know it, you that know her, and I, you just need to know that I know it too, in spades. Uh, we, uh, we're here, uh, we began ministry here at uh, the church 30, let's see, 33 years ago. My youngest, Katie, was one year old uh, when we came, exactly one years old. And uh, we were here for eight years, and then we served in the church, Evangelical Free Church in Orange. And then about two and a half, almost three years ago now, I joined uh, Training Leaders International. We are a group that was birthed out of uh, John Piper's church in Bethlehem uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's called Bethlehem Baptist. The founder of our mission, Darren Carlson, came to the elder board and pitched what we do, and John Piper said, we got to do this. And so uh, we're an independent organization now. We've been going for 11 years, more than 11 years, and we go to foreign countries and we train pastors and church leaders. We have a formal side to what we do. We teach in Bible colleges and seminaries, and we also have a non-formal side 
We have a very well-developed curriculum where we train pastors and church leaders uh, in very rural places around the world how to read and understand the Bible and preach. That is the focus of our ministry, biblical exposition and preaching. And uh, I, I just love what I do. Um, the last uh, almost three years now, I, I think as I look back, uh, ministry in churches is vital and foundational, but we have, we have done much for the Church of Christ around the world. Uh, training leaders has sent us to, me to India and to uh, Tanzania and Uganda and Ethiopia, Liberia, maybe somewhere else, I forget. Um, but I've, uh, in my church ministry as a pastor, we went to many countries, Burma, China. Went to China actually with a group from uh, Trinity a few years back. So we've been to quite a few places. It's a wonderful ministry. 85% of the pastors in the world have no training whatsoever, other than listening to the radio and the television, which is substandard in many ways, and uh, the churches they are in. In fact, expositional preaching, where you take a book of the Bible and you preach your way through it, or a topical message that is expositional is frankly unknown in most of the world. It's becoming rarer and rarer actually in America also. So um, we are very fortunate here. I'm gonna just show you hopefully a few of uh, my pictures if the Apple TV is up and running. We're going to see right now. Um, this Apple TV is from Tim's house. It's called Sun Room. But I suppose that would be a good play on where we are right now. We are in the SON room it is about Jesus Christ, um, and it's working on it, and uh, we'll, we'll see. That HDMI cable needs to plug, be plugged into the back. It is. Oh, look. Yeah. Well, we'll let them, if it can be figured out. I have, uh, it's on, at, the, at the Sunday school hour, we showed 127 pictures in rapid succession. And hopefully it wasn't your typical missionary slide presentation. I hope not. Um, but I, uh, when Tim asked me to come, I always come. It's just a wonderful thing to be here um, at our at our home home grounds. And uh, uh, this is a little piece of heaven. I hope you know that um, here at your church. All right. Oh. You know, I'm going to start my sermon here pretty quick, and this is just not going to happen once I get going. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. Some of you have, may have seen it. They interviewed Tom Brady a few years ago, and after he had won his third Super Bowl, and the gist of the interview was, how does it feel, and how great is it? And he basically said, it's great, it feels super, but there has to be something more. There has to be something more in this life. And the person interviewing him said something to this effect, well, what, what do you think it is? And he says, I have no idea. There has to be something more. Well, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ and have been changed um, as we have believed and trusted that he is died and risen again, know what it is. It's serving him and his mission to proclaim the greatness of his name everywhere we go. And of course, the most spectacular thing about Jesus Christ 
is his death, burial, and resurrection for sin. It is the center of his glory. It's the center of um, everything. The plan from eternity past was for God uh, to glorify himself um, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And if you want to see the glory of God, just look at the face of Jesus Christ on the cross and who he is and what he did and all that he said. And ask God to simply astound you because it is the most astounding thing in the universe. It's, it's better than the Super Bowl. In fact, everything else is, is worthless in comparison. The Apostle Paul knew it. And he said in Philippians chapter 3, but whatever things were gained for me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he gave his life over to proclaiming the greatness of God. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, and verse 24, he says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And when you became a Christian, that's what you signed up for, too. That's what we signed up for, losing our life to gain our life. And so whatever your life was, you gave it up for Christ and his mission. And we are all missionaries, and our mission is to spread the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Jesus Christ himself said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. So we're waiting for the gospel of the kingdom. 1,600 people groups without a gospel witness. We can turn on the radio. We can go to many, many churches in Lancaster and in the city of Orange where I live and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1,600 people groups have no gospel witness. They can't turn on the radio unless someone goes. And it seems to be indicated in Revelation chapter 6 that under the throne of God there's the saints who have died and they say how long O Lord until you avenge our blood and he said until the number who are to die is completed and it seems like what God is saying until we give our lives for the sake of the gospel and there are more Christian martyrs then the end will come and I believe that to be true and he calls us all to give our lives to get rid of our bucket lists, to get rid of our hopes and dreams and whatever those were before we signed on and become onward Christian soldiers. I don't know how many of you know Russell Moore. Anyone know who Russell Moore is? He was the head of the Southern Baptist Ethics Commission for years and years, a wonderful Christian man. And um, one of my favorite bloggers is doing a like, what songs do you want sung at your funeral? And he did Joni Erickson Tata and some other famous ones. He did Russell Moore. Russell Moore said two songs, Just As I Am, Without One Plea, But That Thy Blood Was Shed For Me, and Onward Christian Soldiers. And the reason he gave is that when we sign on, 
when we give our life to Christ, because he gave our life to us, that we become Christian soldiers. And that's what we are. So we get rid of our bucket lists. Uh, Christians, don't be talking about your bucket list. You know, I've, these Christians who talk about Mount Kilimanjaro and all the baseball stadiums. I suppose there's nothing wrong with going to every baseball stadium in the United States. But if that's what you live for, pity you. Uh, waiting for the next Star Wars or Star Trek or whatever all those movies are. And I, I actually know Christians who have no idea what the book of Hosea is about, but they can tell me all those iterations of all those movies, whatever they are, and they started with number four and then they went to three and then they skipped ahead to eight. And I, I you know, and how Spock and Captain Kirk and Wookiees and all those guys fit together, I don't know. And I actually don't even care. And, and there's nothing wrong with being interested in knowing that stuff. But when you signed on as a Christian, you signed on to give your life over to the glory of God and the proclamation of the greatness of his glory found in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, that we have sold this wonderful woman of faith, Hannah, far short. It always bothered me growing up that she would give up probably her three-year-old son, Samuel, to not a very good priest, Eli, and his sons who were wicked men. Why would she do such a thing? You know any mothers willingly give up a three-year-old? I mean, I've got grandchildren. I, you would have to kill me to take them away. And I'm not even the mom or the dad. So... We've sold her short, and I, I believe it's because we've read that narrative wrongly. So to understand 1 Samuel chapter 1, we've, we need to understand how we got there, okay? So how do we get to 1 Samuel chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the sixth day, he created Adam from dirt and woman from his side, right? And then what happened in chapter 3? Not rhetorical question. Sin. They did what God told them not to do. So he cursed the serpent, and he pronounced judgment on them. But before he did that, in, in Genesis 3.15, he said what? The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We have the beginning of the gospel because we know Jesus is the seed of the woman. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and yet he had to die for, for that to happen. Things don't get better in chapter 4. They have two kids, Cain and Abel, and one kills the other. And then if you've read Genesis chapter 4, it just goes downhill. I've killed a man for wounding me, and, uh, you know, it just gets bad. At the end of chapter 4, men begin to call on the name of the Lord, which I believe means they began to pray that God would keep his promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent because things are so bad. And then things get really bad, and what's the next great event in Genesis chapter 6? Flood. God saw that the intent of man's heart was only wickedness. So he destroyed everyone but ate on the ark. And then as soon as Noah, his family, get off the ark, he plants a vineyard. And he sends in a garden too, just like Adam and Eve. He gets himself drunk. And then... Men find this new technology. They're just absorbed with it. It's called the brick. And what do they do? 
They built a tower for the fame of their name, not the fame of his name, which they were instructed to do. Multiply and fill the earth with these images of God. They said, no, it's about us. We're going to build a tower. And God, in his grace, confused their language and makes them do what they were supposed to do in the first place. And things are bad. By the end of chapter 11, you're thinking, there's no hope. And there is no hope. But so what does God do? He calls this pagan man, Abraham, to come from a foreign country. And he says, I'm going to bless you four ways. Genesis 12. And then he makes a covenant with him in 15, or repeated in 17 and elsewhere. And there's four aspects to this blessing that God has promised. And what are those? I'm going to make you, I'm going to do... Genesis 12, you can look it up. I don't care if you read your Bible. <laughs> to answer questions about the Bible. I'm going to make you, just give me one, somebody. I'm going to make you a great nation. He says that to Abraham. Did God, did God keep that promise? How did he keep the promise? Through suffering in Egypt. He made him a great nation. Did you know God's promises come true? The gospel is proclaimed throughout the old word, whole earth through suffering. It takes suffering for the gospel to go forth. If you're not willing to suffer, be inconvenienced, to be shamed, the gospel will not go forth. So God in his faithfulness multiplies them in Egypt. What it says, so a great nation, what else? I'm going to give you a, a land. Yes, did he come through on that? Yes, he did in the book of Joshua. They come into the land and they conquer it and Okay, uh, I'm going to give you a, make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great land. I'm going to, I'm going to, you can, Genesis 12, it's all right there. I know you want me just to tell you, but I'm not going to. You know, I taught so, I, I was in Liberia with Training Leaders International January, February, March this year for three months. I didn't touch a person for three months because of COVID. And uh, I just talked. The whole time, I talked, I taught, I taught. Preached Sunday morning, Wednesday night, during the week. So I, I've, I've left my preaching mode. I'm in teacher mode here, so I'm not telling you. Okay? So I'm going to bless you. Okay? Has God done that? Did God do that to the nation? We saw that in, in um, they conquered the land. They were living in the land, and he blessed them. And then Solomon, was that blessing? Oh, yeah. Huge blessing. In fact, in the, under the old covenant, which this is, God said, to the, God said to them, my plan is for the world to come to you and come and see my greatness. And we see that in the Queen of Sheba, right? Come and see my greatness. The new covenant is different. The new covenant is go and tell. Go into the world and tell. It's not make a great nation. No, we get that confused in America. But not go and make a great nation, but go and tell. Go and tell. So we got a great nation, a land, a blessing. Bless all the nations through you. And that fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yes, but in, in that time, Israel was a great blessing to the nations. So that was the old covenant. The new covenant is different. New covenant in my blood. So when we look at 1 Samuel... We still need to go through some history here together. But when we're looking at 1 Samuel, are we under the New Covenant or the Old Covenant? Old Covenant. New Covenant is not in effect yet. 
I tell this to my students in Africa because the prosperity gospel is rampant. Guys, we're under the new covenant. It is better than the old covenant. The old covenant was come and see and riches and wealth and wonderful and wisdom. The new covenant, go and suffer. In fact, there was a, a Wednesday when I was in class and a lot of these guys are just infected with this prosperity gospel. And I said to them, you go home and you get every verse you can find in the Bible about prosperity, and I'm going to find every verse in the Bible that talks about suffering for the gospel. And we spent three hours going through, and I have, I have a picture of all the verses. Went right, started right with Matthew and went right through. I touched on Malachi 3 and some others because that's their favorite verse in the Bible. Um, and at the end of three hours, I asked them if they had any verses, and they said, we don't have any. And I said, I knew you didn't, because there aren't any. Actually, I said, I, I think I said, there aren't any. <laughs> and then we just missed class, and they were out in the hallway, and the, our partner, the guy who's the dean of the school, he says, what's wrong, guys? And they said, our heads are hurting. And he said, how come? And they said, we've been lied to our whole lives. But I'll tell you what, living in Liberia for three months, and by the way, I'm going back in August for a month, August 13th, I go for another month, is that their culture, their tribal culture, has informed their Christianity to the point that they don't have Christianity. Tribal culture is witchcraft and a, a witch doctor who is in control of the spirits and in control of health, and you give him money, and he drives the demons away, and somehow they've... They've mixed that into Christianity, so the Christianity is almost unrecognizable. That their meetings are all about casting demons out, and you've got to go to the head man to do that, and he can ensure you, if you give him money, that you're going to be healthy, and you're going to have money yourself. And that's the center of their Christianity. And so it's important for us to know that as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're talking about an old covenant. They were living under those promises God gave to Abraham. And that was their passion in life, the way the new covenant needs to be our passion in life, and the commands and the promises that God has given us in the new covenant. So after, where are we? We, do, we got to Abraham. He calls Abraham pagan, right? Most people don't know that. When he called him, he said, go to the land. I'm going to do this. Abraham wasn't a God-fearer at all. And neither were you when he called you. He saved you from yourself and his wrath and your sin. Praise God. Boy, I, I, hate, I hate to think. One of my sons told me this recently. I hate to think where I would be if the grace of God hadn't saved me from myself. Just remember that. In fact, you need to get goosebumps every, when you think about that. Think about what Christ has done for you. It should astound you that he saved a wicked sinner and make sure it astounds you all the time. That's why we take communion once a month. One of the reasons, just be astounded that God saved you. Do yourself a favor. Be astounded. It changes your whole outlook. When other people do you wrong, you can forgive. When things go badly, you can understand. He's got you on mission. And his mission, part of his mission, is for you to have difficult times and to make it through so people will know that the chief treasure of your life is Jesus Christ. It's not your health. It's not your house. 
It's not air conditioning. Although, praise God for air conditioning today. Wow. All right. So where are we? We're Abraham, the promises. And then uh, what does God do for Abraham and Sarah? He says, you're going to be a great nation. She can't even, she doesn't even have kids. And Abraham does some foolish stuff with his concubines. And then finally, when he hits 100, and it, it, they have a kid, Isaac. Then we got Jacob. And, and we, we, we see that God is working a pattern here. There's these childless women that God uses. Rebecca, Rachel. Then they go down to Egypt because of the famine. We got the Joseph story. And they're down in Egypt. They multiply. And they become a great nation. They come out and they go to the promised land and they're like, oh, Lord, and God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, but they don't think he can take them into the promised land with a mighty hand. They don't believe him because their eyes are on something else instead of him. And so they wander for 40 years and that whole generation dies off thousands of funerals every single day to remind them that someone needs to come and die for them later, the Lord Jesus. And then they enter the promised land, and things are pretty good in the book of uh, Joshua. And then the book of Judges. Has anybody read the book of Judges? It's horrible. I mean, we've got Judges, and it starts out pretty good with Ehud and, you know, Deborah and Barak. And Gideon is kind of like, he did a good job, but then he just falls away into idolatry and make a statue for him. It just goes bad. Samson's no better, but he does use a childless woman. Uh, to bring forth this deliverer, Samson. And our story in 1 Samuel happens sometime probably when Samson was still judging and Eli was the priest. And they were this nation in trouble. If you want to know how much trouble this nation was in, read Judges 17 through the end. Anybody read that about the concubine and chopping her up into 12 pieces and sending her out and then the tribes of Israel killing each other it's just crazy stuff everyone did what was right in his own eyes there was no king in Israel the book of Ruth is actually a little it's a bright spot because right here in the middle of all this yuck in the book of Judges we have a faithful woman Ruth and a faithful man Boaz chesed people Loyal to God, to the highest point of devotion. Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your God's going to be my God. You know, Ruth is like the perfect church member. You want to know how to be a church member, just read what Ruth says. That's the way to be a church member. Yeah. And then we have Hannah. And we've sold her short, and I hope maybe by this time you know how we've sold her short. But know this, God uses barren women. We've got Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, Samson's mother. Who else do we have? Barren women that God used greatly. Someone, I think I heard. Well, I would call her barren. She didn't have kids. God loves to use women who don't have children. At women who do have children, he uses. In fact, if, if you look at the, uh, we missed Elizabeth and Zachariah. People are whispering because they're not sure. So here we have First Samuel chapter 1. 
I taught first and second Samuel in Liberia at the seminary and so I bought like a hundred books on first and second Samuel and I read and I read and I read I could talk about first and second Samuel a very long time so but the first chapter has caught my attention in a lot of biblical books there's this parenthesis thing that goes on they begin and they end kind of the same way and then you can see patterns and first and second Samuel are actually one book and so the the poem that we read this morning, Hannah's Prayer in 2, 1 through 10, David repeats it in 2 Samuel chapter 22 in his prayer, in his song that's repeated almost verbatim in Psalm 18. So David knows Hannah's Prayer. Is this gave me goosebumps when I tried to, how did David know Hannah's Prayer? Because the Bible's not written yet. How did he know? If you know the story of Hannah, Hannah gave birth to Samuel. Hannah taught Samuel the prayer. Samuel taught David the prayer. What a cool thing. Ah. Anyway, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here we go. There was a certain man of Ramath Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Major character in this first chapter. The son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. Don't do this at home. Don't try this, guys. It's not good. All the people in the Bible with more than one wife had trouble. God's pattern was one. Liberia, polygamy is legal. It's not a good thing. So this is, the, this is the first thing he says. He had two wives. We know it's not going to be good. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So here we have a barren woman. One wife, kids. The other wife, no kids. This is not going to turn out well. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. Notice, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Hopefully your Bible has that. If it doesn't, get a new Bible, because this is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. It's the name that he used when he met with Moses in Exodus 3.14. He says, who should I say sent me? And tell them, yeah, I am, the Yahweh, the, what, the self-existent one, the one who keeps his promises to his people. At Shiloh, the Lord of hosts. If you've got a Christian standard Bible, it's going to say Lord of armies. I like that better. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So we're introducing Eli's sons. If you read the rest of chapter 2 and go into 3 and 4, you'll understand that Eli was not the best priest in the world. He had sons who slept with women who served in the temple, it served in the place of worship, and they stole sacrifice from the Lord. His sons were bad, he didn't do anything about it. Not good. But this is, remember, in the time of Judges. Late, the latter part of the period of Judges, where the nation is in a spiral. Things are going bad. The leaders are bad. 
On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, no kids, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So why was she barren? The Lord wanted her barren. The Lord wanted her barren. When I was in Liberia, a woman in the congregation died, and they asked me to do the service for her, which I, I didn't really want to do, but during the service, I said, did the Lord want her to die? And I didn't have to ask them to respond. They just responded and said no. And I said, yes, he did. Death and life are in the power of the Lord. Don't you think anybody dies without the Lord saying this is okay? Nothing happens. He's sovereign over everything. I know we want him to be sovereign over here and not over here, but he's sovereign over everything. But we know as believers that all things work together for good. So whatever happens, if you could see it from God's perspective, you would say, oh, that's okay. I'll be barren. Would you be barren if you got to be the mother of John the Baptist? Oh, yeah. I'm not a woman, but if I was, I would say, yeah. How about Abraham's wife? Would you be barren? Yeah. What about the blind, what about the, the, the blind man in John chapter 9? The text says he was, was this man born blind? Is he sinner? Is, no, for the glory of God, it says. Would you be blind for 40, 45 years so that Jesus could come and heal you? And your story would be in John chapter, I'd do it. I've actually talked to people who said, nope, wouldn't do it. I would do it. Because by the sovereign plan of God, everything works together for good, and our lives are not our own. Our lives are to bring glory to God by all we do. We, we are on a mission. If you're a Christian, you're on a mission. It's axiomatic. We have a missionary God. We are his missionary people. It's not about us. So here she is. The Lord closes her womb. Verse 6, and a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. When it's repeated in Hebrew narrative, you know, the Lord wants us to know that she does not have children by the plan of God. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. She would take worship at that one time of the year to just more needles. Nana, nana, nana. I got kids. You don't. Ha! Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, this guy's clueless. First, he's clueless for having two wives. Second, he's clueless here. Look what he says. He says to her, Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? You got me, babe? Elkanah is not that smart. And I think we're going to find later on that the faith of his wife he encourages his faith. And he says something pretty good later on in chapter 1. Let's keep reading. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Of course he was sitting, he was fat. He was so fat, he dies later on because he falls off his stool and breaks his neck. He was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. This is not politically correct, is it? She's asking for a son. Take note. 
and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Nazarite vow, number six. John the Baptist, Nazarite. Samson's supposed to be a Nazarite, but played around with that his whole life. You devote yourself to the Lord all the days of your life. You never cut your head. You don't drink wine. You don't go to funerals. You don't touch dead things. All the days of his life, no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Whoa, this is a guy who won't discipline his sons for sleeping around with the temple help and stealing offerings. Eli's not my favorite, but boy, a drunk woman. Oh, you can't be drunk in the house of the Lord. No, 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 no. This might be hard for some of you, but one of the, the keys to interpreting biblical narrative is evaluate what the characters are doing based on the Mosaic Code. Naomi, when she leaves the land of Moab to go back to Bethlehem, what does she tell these two women who married Jewish boys? Go back to your country. You're not going to find husbands where I'm going, and you need to worship your other gods. I don't think that was good. In fact, I know it wasn't good. Na Naomi's, Naomi's bitter at the Lord, and she's like, Oh, don't, don't serve my God. He's not done very well for me. So evaluate the characters based on what the Bible says. It's okay to do. Many times the biblical narrative does not say, oh, and this was a wicked thing. You just figure it out. The same thing with Esther. I know I'm going to pop another bubble here, but most of biblical, um, most biblical writers are waking up to the fact that what Esther did wasn't a good thing. She had a one-night stand with the king and hid the fact that she was Jewish. It wasn't the right thing to do. Mordecai told her to do that, and that was bad advice. And Esther should have never done it. Is that what the boys did with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, no, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to do this, and if we perish, we perish. Esther comes around to that. But at the beginning of the book of Esther, she's so evaluate the characters based on the law of God. We love, we love our heroes, don't we? We do. But they're flawed. Are you flawed? Can you still accomplish through the Spirit of God and faithfulness great things for God? Yep. That's good news, isn't it? That's great news. So Eli here. By the way, Eli never turns around. If you read the rest of the book, he's so being drunk. But Hannah answered, this is verse 15, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have neither drunk, neither wine nor strong drink. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Lord, L-O-R-D, see that? Capital L, capital O, Yahweh. The guy who keeps covenant with his people. The guy who promised in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 that this is going to be a great nation. He's going to bless them. And as I'm looking around, this is not a great nation. It's a messed up nation. It's a nation embroiled in sin. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition. 
that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. She'd been fasting and praying. Her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. He slept with her. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Samuel, for she said, I've asked him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. Oh, what a great... What a great verse and saying from Elkanah. May the Lord be faithful to his word. What word is God being faithful to? I think he's being faithful to his covenant. That Hannah, as a covenant woman, has given her life over to the mission of God in her time. Let's keep reading. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull this is sacrifice is way over the top, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord, lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed, and said, my heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn, the strength of my life, is exalted in the Lord. She's given up her three-year-old. How can she say this? It's because her life has been given over to the covenant. She doesn't ask for a son so that she can say back to Penina, look, the Lord has given me a son. No, she was a woman of the covenant who believed that God was faithful and she couldn't have kids. And if you're a woman in Israel, and an Israel that mess, was messed up, what Israel needed was godly leaders. So she prayed for a son, a son that would be a Nazarite, that would commit his whole life to the Lord. And the Lord fulfilled her promise and gave her Samuel and Eli and his sons die or are killed. And Samuel becomes the kingmaker of Israel. Read the rest of first and second Samuel. He anoints Saul. That didn't work out so well. But he anoints him because God said to Samuel, the people want this guy. It's a king or according to their choice. We'll go ahead and put him in and we'll see how well he does. Not very well. But then the man of God's choice, King David. And then God makes a promise to King David that someone from his line would be king forever. And we know that king to be King Jesus. David didn't do very well either. He's got that Bathsheba problem. He wasn't a great father. He didn't discipline his sons. But David was a repenter. David knew how to not only say, sorry, Lord, but you are right and I'm wrong. And I accept, I, I accept my punishment and my discipline from you. Because your mercies are great. 
So I think we've sold Hannah short. I don't think it had much to do with Penina at all. Maybe, a portion. We all have mixed motives. But I think Hannah was a woman who had given her life over to the covenant. She couldn't have kids. And, and, and she had another woman in the same household with kids that was taunting her. And she says, Lord, and I'm going to expand on what I believe her prayer was. Well, we can, we'll read it here in light of this. Lord, I'm looking at your promises, and I know you're faithful. And I'm looking at the state of our nation, and it's pretty bad. And so I'm going to pray for you to keep your promises. How are we going to be a great nation unless there's great men to lead us? And so my strategy, Lord, as a woman, is I want you to give me kids, and I'll give them over to you so they become great leaders of your nation. That's my strategy to fulfill the covenant. 2-1, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn, it's another way of saying the strength of my life, just in the Lord and his covenant. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. You're probably familiar with Psalm 18. These are, these are phrases that show up in Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel chapter 23. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, the bows of the mighty are broken. This is not about Penina. This language is too, too global. This is, this is not Penina. This is about the mission of God and his great nation. For the Lord is God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. Verse 4, the bows of the mighty be broken. Feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. This not only reminds you of David, but it reminds you of Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, doesn't it? My soul exalts in the Lord. Mary borrows from Hannah. David borrows from Hannah. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, raises up. The Lord makes poor, makes rich. The, he brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Do you think David didn't know this when he was fighting Goliath? And he says... The Lord is going to prevail. The Lord is the one who wins the battles. She's taught David his theology somehow, possibly through her son, and then to David. This woman was a woman of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The promises to Abraham, the promises in Genesis 49 that the scepter wouldn't, wouldn't depart from the house of Judah. Jesus from the the line of Judah, David from the line of Judah, Deuteronomy, the promises of a king, and the instructions to a king. This was a woman who knew the Pentateuch and trusted the promises of God, and her whole life was given over it, even to the point where she can rejoice when she gives up her three-year-old son. 
because she knows God will keep his promise. And the, the nation needs a king. Let's read on. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She is speaking of David and Jesus Christ, who was in the loins of his father, David. He will give strength to his king. I think we've sold Hannah short, short, short. But you think, you know, I've just barely touched the surface of first and second Samuel, but it's the greatest narrative. Um, actually, it develops the characters more than any other book of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. It develops the character of Saul and David very well. I mean, it's just amazing. But the women in first and second Samuel, Abigail, remember what Abigail does? David is going to kill the fool because he wouldn't give him any food, and she shows up with all this food, and she says, David, David, you're going to be the king. Abigail was a woman of the covenant. How did she know David was going to be the king? At this point, he's fleeing from Saul. Somehow this anointing, this private anointing that Samuel did, it had gone out. Jonathan knew it. Abigail knew it. So she's like, you're going to be the king, and this will be innocent blood. You can't do this, buddy. Stop. Saved his bacon. We got some other women in First and Second Samuel. Some of the guys in First and Second Samuel. Jonathan, he's the heir apparent to the throne. And Saul is trying to, king, to kill David. And Jonathan meets with David. And Jonathan says, I know you're going to be king. So here's, here's, my, here's, here's my robe. Here's my sword. You, it's you, David. Jonathan was a man of the covenant. And the question for us, are we people of the covenant? What's your bucket list for the kingdom? Got to have a strategy. Mine is, I mean, I'm blessed. I can't tell you how blessed I am. 36 years as a pastor, preaching through books of the Bible almost exclusively, and now I can go to Liberia, and they can ask me to speak 100 times a week, and I can do it. I'm just, I'm at Disneyland. What's your strategy? How have you given your life over to the kingdom? Before, uh, I'm, I'm a cyclist. I, I would, I'm part of a team, and I used to race bicycles. And so part of, my train, part of what I did was I would race, and I, I was good. And people wanted to talk to me, and they knew I was a pastor, and I was able to share the gospel with them. I, I, I rode a bike to share the gospel. And then I would go to the gym and ride a stationary trainer, and these poor saps would come up and sit by me. And, and you, just, you just start asking them questions, and eventually they ask you what you do, and you tell them, and then you just, you're right back at them. They say, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I travel, and I teach people how to understand the Bible. Are you a spiritual person? I've, I've, I've done that shtick hundreds of times. Either I'm a pastor, are you a spiritual person, or do you attend church? And the conversation opens up, and I'm able to share the gospel with them. Well, what do you believe? How do you get to heaven in your belief system? So we're living under a new covenant. The new covenant says your life is not your own. You belong to Jesus Christ. You're a fool. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. You lose your life, you're going to save it. 
So you lose your life for the sake of the gospel, and then you come up with an individual strategy based on your age, your training, your period of, you know, where you go, what you, and you just come up with a strategy. How are you going to reach your neighbors? What are you going to do? Your neighbors are going to hell, and you're the best Christian they will ever know. This is mostly true in our society. You are the best Christian your neighbors. What are you going to do? Well, I need to, well, honey, what are we going to do? When we lived in Hay Fork, this many, many in a galaxy far, far away. Sorry. Spock said that, right? I don't care. We lived in a little town, and um, the pharmacist, we, we lived in a, a little town, a very little town, Hayfork, and the guy who ran the pharmacy lived across the street from us, and nobody liked him in town because he had girly magazines. And finally, they made him cover them up, but he still sold them, and nobody liked him. And Vicky made him um, brownies, and she was kind to him. And the last time we went back to Hayfork, 30 years later, the guy was in church. And he came up, and he told us that he had surrendered to Jesus Christ, and he was a Christian, and that Vicky's brownies were part of the, part of the equation. I don't know what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive or how much money you make or it doesn't really matter. God uses the barren. He uses the poor. Not many wise, not many rich, right? First Corinthians chapter 1. You guys, I mean, look around. We're not that smart. Just look, look, look at each other. We're not that great, okay? And I got a bird's eye view and I looked at myself this morning in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not that great that, that because when God does great things, he gets all the glory. So, just step out in faith. Pray the promises of God, like they did at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 4. They saw the wickedness that was around them, and they began to call upon the name of the Lord. In fact, if you look at all the prayers in the Bible, I just recently read a book, a biblical theology book on the prayers of the Bible, and the prayers of the Bible are basically asking God to keep his promises. Read 2 Samuel 7. God promised to David this and this and this. And what does David pray? He prays the promises of God. Prayer is praying the promises of God. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for health and, you, and, and it's okay to pray for money. You can pray for money. It just it better not be at the center of what you do and neither should your health be because we're all going to die sooner or later. The statistics are overwhelming. Okay? One of these days, all of us will be pathetic and then we will die unless you die in a car accident or whatever. You're going to die. So yes, pray for health. But I say strategically pray for health that you may carry out the mission of God and what he has called you to do and your personal strategy for sharing the gospel. So to sum up, I, I have no idea when I'm supposed to finish and nobody tell me, don't say, don't say anything. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. I'm not listening. Just... Just come up with your strategy. If you're trying to save your life and do your bucket list and make your money and your house, and even grandkids, maybe, they, they can be, I, it can be an idol. Here we are trying to drink and we got this pacifier in our mouth. I showed that picture this morning in Sunday school. I got a picture of my grandson. He's got his pacifier in his mouth. 
He's two years and two months, and he's trying to drink out of a sippy cup, trying to drink his milk. It doesn't work. You can't pacify yourself with the American dream and carry out the mission of God. It doesn't work. No, you've got to give away your life. Give it away. Just like Hannah did. She gave her son away. I don't know how she did it, except she had faith in the God who keeps his promises. This gospel of the kingdom preached in all the world, and then the end will come. How long, O oh Lord? Until the number of those who are to die is completed. So I'm calling you to die. Don't do it on purpose. Just don't go, I'm going to just die. No, but take risks. Risk is right for the Christian. Risk is right. Give your life away for the gospel the way Hannah did. And he will smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. As he accepts you into his heaven. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, your faithfulness to your covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Hannah. And your faithfulness to Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And your faithfulness to our Savior and his faithfulness to you and trust, his obedience. So, Father, as you call us to live the life of Christ, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. May we, too, be people of the covenant. May the passion, the focus of our life be your kingdom and the mission you have left us with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bob. <clears throat> if you're able to stand, let's stand together. If you're not able to stand, let's just sing from where you're sitting. Um, let's use the gift of music to kind of help answer what we've heard today.
chosen me by name to follow you and walk in your ways. You called me and you've sent me out to give myself away. Standing over your power and your faith. Loving God, in your mercy, you have called me to give myself away. Christ within me shine to a world so dark, to a world in this morning fill out the communication card in the seat back in front of you prayer request and you can sign up for the e-news if you would like so those communication cards are important give us your email address and we'll harass you forever no they won't do that wait to let an outsider give the announcements yeah uh, leftovers are back tonight at 5.30 at the Strombergs. Dan will preach on July 18th. Leftovers, whatever leftovers are. That's not where you go when you talk about. We're gonna talk about you. Oh boy. <laughs> talk about God and how we used Hannah, okay? I think that's what leftovers are. That's at the Strombergs, Strombergs. There we go, talk to that guy if you don't know where he lives. He has a very nice house. You can 
sit in the sauna and the pool and discuss. Okay. So there's a trip to paradise, and it's to do uh, relief work because they burned out. And actually, the guy who's leading that is from the church I attend in Laguna Hills. His name is uh, Steve Smeltzer. So he will be there with a bunch of guys from our church. So if you see Steve, tell him you know me, and that might help you. It might not. All right. And then, and then uh, Dan is preaching next week. Should be great. So come to hear the word of the Lord. We got Paradise Ordination Celebration Reminder, August 5th. Um, dinner starts at 6 p.m. and the celebration starts at 7 p.m. Um, Tim was uh, in an ordination council. I unfortunately couldn't be there because I was in Liberia. Um, but he passed with fine colors. Uh, Tim is a smart dude. You guys, bet you guys already know that. But anyway, ordination August 5th, dinner at 6 p.m. Invitations are going out with an RSVP so we know how many to host. If you need a ride, let us know. Third Friday prayer this month will be the fourth Friday prayer on July 23rd at 7 p.m. So it sounds like it was on the third Friday. Moved. It's that's not always. This month. This month it's a fourth at 7 p.m. in the library. All right. So I probably got them all wrong. They're on my phone. If, if you want the straight scoop, just I'll show you the forward email. Thank you. Uh, would you stand together? I thank the Lord that I was able to come this morning, and I hope I've challenged you and encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask that the word of God would stay with you and that you would uh, serve his kingdom faithfully and wholly in whatever area God has chosen to put you, using your skills and abilities and um, your weakness. We all minister and share the gospel in weakness that the glory of God may be known. And may he do that in your lives and in my life, the life of my church, throughout the world. And may his kingdom come. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ within me shall.